Welcome in. Today we have another Netflix warning, and then we turn to a trans summer camp. The great corporate migration continues on, and in Seattle, a preacher is arrested for preaching. And many, many 200-year-old churches continue to close. What is going on there? I'm Matt Odegaard, and this is Church Public. Welcome back to Church Public. I'm Matt Odegaard, your host as always, and I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. I want to help you understand current events from a Christian perspective, and we're going to look at some of those again today. And of course, as always, we'll end with the verse of the day, some Bible reflection as to what in the world is going on and how we're supposed to live. I want to help you follow along with Jesus and live in this world. That's why it's church public. We're going out in the public square every time we walk out that front door. And what are we going to do? How are we going to live? How are we going to take our faith with us and make sense of this wild and crazy world? So that's what we're doing here today. Let's get into some of these stories. All right. Uh, The first one is human resources. And this is no, not the organization in your workplace. This is a show on Netflix. It's been on Netflix for a little while now, but I was just recently made aware of it. Um, (laughs) all I'm going to say here is please don't watch. It's sick and twisted and gross and evil, but, and, and probably you're not going to watch because you may be an adult listening to this and you don't watch that many cartoons, or maybe you do no judgment here, but this is gross and evil. Please don't watch it. It's about a bunch of apparently demons or something that help people, but they don't really help people. They just make people worse. I don't know. Anyway, I full disclosure, I didn't watch any of it. I watched the trailer, and the trailer was terrible. The reason I bring it up is it's a colorful cartoon, and it'll probably show up on your homepage at Netflix. So once again, don't let your children watch this. Might I also add, you probably shouldn't watch it either. I watched the trailer. That's all I watched. That's all I'm ever going to watch to see if there's anything I could show you, to see if I could get a clip to show you. There is not. There's not anything I can actually show you. It's really that bad. And number two... I wish I had not watched it because it really is that bad. All right, we're totally moving on from that and we're moving on fast because I don't care. I just wanted to warn you that (laughs) these cartoons, you know, we used to, we used to do these cartoon things and, and I, I admit it, right? I have four kids. Sometimes you just need your kids to watch TV and you need just, just a moment and you say, oh, cartoons, cartoons are fine. Cartoons are harmless. No, they're not. The cartoons they're making these days are just disastrous. You just have to watch. Be careful what your kids are watching. That's really my main point with that. All right. We're turning to corporate America today because in corporate America, there's this great corporate migration. Companies are moving out of states and moving into states where they can literally work better. And that's kind of what we're seeing. We're seeing it across America. There have been a bunch of articles on this. I'm just going to pull the one from the Epic Times. Caterpillar Citadel announced their exit from Illinois in June are the latest to leave high-tax, high-regulation states. Tesla, HP, Oracle, Remington, uh, and hundreds more have left California, also Illinois, left New York, left New Jersey, to places that are more business-friendly, like Texas, Florida, Arizona, Tennessee. Reloading companies, relocating companies have spanned industries, tech, finance, media, manufacturing, autos, etc. <clears throat> Glenn Hamer, president of the Texas Association of Business, told the Epic Times there is a great migration going on and I expect it to accelerate. He continued, when Caterpillar and Elon Musk, uh, excuse me, when Caterpillar and Elon Musk relocate, it's an advertisement to the entire country and the entire world that something positive is going on in that state and there is a multiplier effect. 
I totally agree with this and I see it happening and that is what is going to continue to happen. <clears throat> According to a 2022 survey of 700 CEOs, the top states for business are Texas, Florida, Tennessee, Arizona, North Carolina. The worst, of course, are California, New York, Illinois, New Jersey, Washington. No question there. But in a funny twist, and I think this is funny, um, <clears throat> we have Gavin Newsom who just did a ad in in Florida, he, he just released an ad in Florida. So Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, just released an ad in Florida saying how freedom is under attack and you really need to leave Florida to go to California to get more freedom because California has all the freedoms, which is really funny for me personally. Not just not just like according to these stats that we just looked at from some of these companies, to me personally. Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, who wants you to move to California from somewhere like Florida, which really didn't shut down all that much at all. So Gavin Newsom wants you to have the freedom that you could have in, in California, not like Florida. So the freedoms in California you could have, and I was there during this, so I can tell you with authority, you know, freedoms like shutting down your business or shutting down your church or shutting down your bar or shutting down your hair salon or other businesses, some of which have never reopened for around a year and a half. That sounds like freedom to me. Or, you know, the freedom to murder your baby up to nine months and sometimes beyond, or the freedom to pay that $10 a gallon for gas uh, or higher taxes and more homelessness, et cetera, et cetera. You know, freedom. <laughs> On a side note, this is another side note. We're doing side note after side note, but Newsom is just an interesting character, as we've brought you many, many times, but he happens to be vacationing in Montana right now, the state of Montana right now, which apparently was a secret. No one... <laughs> And, and no one knew where he went, which I just think is really funny. He kind of disappeared. And it's something I, I, I checked the other day, and I don't remember off the top of my head, and I don't care. The emergency act that he enacted is somewhere in the 460 days or something like that. So California has been in a state of emergency for 400 and some days at this point. But he just disappears. And people are like, where did he go? No one knew where he went for a little while. But as it happened, he went to Montana. Why does that matter? Who cares? Montana is great. I'd like to go to Montana. There's no problem with me there. But as it happens, California has a list of 22 states that officials from California cannot travel to on official business. Like, cannot. There's a ban against these 22 states because of LGBTQAIP, hashtag dollar sign, plus, 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 etc., you can't travel to these states in an official capacity. And, in other words, to put it super clear, you can't use state funds to travel to these states, like Montana, which is on the list of the 22 states. So, a representative asked, a representative of Newsom was asked about this. Anthony York, Newsom's senior advisor for communications, said, quote, We don't legislate where people vacation. We never have. The travel ban applies to expending state funds. The governor's travel is not being paid for by the state, end quote. So thank you, Mr. York. Okay, so he's going on his own funds. However, <laughs> the news reporter asked a follow-up, which I think is really funny. The news reporter asked, well, are you paying for Gavin Newsom's security when he's out of state? <laughs> Good question, right? Because that would be state-funded travel. The uh, representative York said, uh, we don't comment or provide details on the governor's security, end quote. <sighs> It's, it's like the double standards never cease. And we shouldn't even be surprised at this point. But it's just funny. I just think it's funny. All right. Moving on from Newsom because who cares at this point? All right. Uh, we're going to Ohio. <clears throat> and a lot's been going on in Ohio. The thing that I want to talk about today is this camp. There is a camp. It's called Camp Akita. 
in in Camp Akita, which is uh, referred to for some reason as a sleep away camp. I'd never heard that term before, but uh, you know, usually you just go to camp, right? You go to summer camp, but this is a sleep away camp because you go to camp. But the problem with this camp that I see is that it houses children based on their gender identity. So this is a camp where children go to sleep over in cabins that historically have been segmented into boys' cabins and girls' cabins, but now <clears throat> these cabins are based on whatever you identify as. Anybody starting to see a problem with this? So according to Camp Akita's Gender Diversity and Inclusion webpage, updated summer 22, <clears throat> the policies for housing transgender and non-binary kids in the same housing spaces as cisgender kids. These are all those wacky words that if you ident if you are a man, but you identify as a woman, you can go in the women's cabin. No problem, right? Right? The website explains, quote, trans and gender diverse campers are welcome in any cabin. So just to be super plain, again, if you're a boy, but you decide you want to identify as a girl, you can now sleep with the girls in the girls cabin. Again, Anybody see any problems with this? Also, Camp Akita said that parents will not be notified if a transgender camper is in their child's cabin. Or listen to this. Or if their child's counselor is transgender. So, so just to be super clear, if your child's counselor, the person that is watching over, teaching, supervising your child, for instance, your child is a girl, what if your child's counselor is a man but identifies as a woman? That man who identifies as a woman now will be sleeping with your girl in the girl's cabin. This seems like a really, really, really bad idea to me. The camp also said that questions about, quote, gender identity may be discussed during camp. And again, they're not going to tell the parents what is discussed because it's just conversation, right? Everybody likes conversation. As an aside, Camp Akita is accredited by the American Camp Association and the Ministry of, here we go, First Community Church in Columbus, Ohio. <clears throat> I went ahead and looked into the website of First Community Church in Columbus, Ohio, and um, it was interesting to say the least. I'm going to read you. I, having been a pastor for 20 years and having been an executive pastor and being in charge of mission and vision and values and supporting an organization and driving an organization forward in terms of what we believe and how we strategically act to accomplish our mission, it's interesting to me what churches say about their mission. So First Community Church says statements like this, they're modeling God's unconditional love. Great, that sounds wonderful. Let's see what else they say. Acceptance which transcends tolerance. Yeah, I'm not sure what that means, but that doesn't exactly sound like the Bible. <clears throat> Let's keep going. Here's another of their values, I guess. Taking the Bible seriously, but not literally. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go ahead and like call a timeout on that one. What in the world does taking the Bible seriously, but not literally mean? I tell you all the time, you should just read the Bible and do what it says. It's not difficult to understand what to do. It may be hard to actually do it because we're selfish and we're prideful and, and we want to do what we want to do. But it's not hard to just read it and say, like, okay, God, I'm going to follow the Bible. This church instead says, we're going to take the Bible seriously, but not literally. Which parts are you going to take seriously? Some of them, the ones you want to, but not literally. So you're not going to take all the parts that you want. Is this just like a a la carte, you know, like a buffet of Bible? I, I really don't even understand what that means. But it doesn't sound particularly biblical to me. And then finally, one of their values is other pathways to the divine. Uh, I'm pretty sure when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me in John 14, 6, he kind of meant, I'm the way, not all the ways. But 
again, silly me just reading the Bible and do what it says. One, we'll just go one more on this one that says, the vision of this church is, quote, a socially progressive community fostering inclusiveness, diversity, and service that makes a positive difference. You know, that's a bunch of gobbledygook. I'm just calling it out right now. It's just a bunch of gobbledygook that doesn't mean anything. I, I don't know what that means. How about read the Bible, do what it says. And a church that, you know, takes the Bible seriously, but not literally, I, I just don't, I don't know what to do with this. So then when you get a camp that is sponsored by a church that has seriously, but not literally other pathways to the mind, we're all about tolerance and inclusiveness. It doesn't surprise me that you're going to have men sleeping in the girl's cabin. However, if you're a parent, you might want to think twice about this. And if you're at a church like this, I would run. I would run really fast and far from that place. Lord, we need some serious repentance up in here. All right, we're going to move over to Seattle. In Seattle, a street preacher was arrested for preaching. I know, you heard that right. And and it, and it happens sometimes, but, but this is an interesting story. And it's a story that we have to just talk about because these are things that we're seeing more and more. And we're seeing them more and more because truth is in opposition to lies. We talked all about that yesterday in the previous episode. If you missed that, you can go to churchpublic.com. If you want to see the video of this and other versions, you can go to churchpublic.com slash podcast and you can see it there. <clears throat> so according to journalist Jonathan Cho with Discovery Institute, Seattle police arrested a street preacher on charges of being a risk to public safety for reading his Bible aloud. That's it, period. Like reading his Bible aloud at a public park near a LGBT event. Matthew Meineke, who identifies himself as the Seattle preacher on Twitter, was surrounded by Seattle police officers, like 10, like 10 police officers, because I'm telling you, pastors are dangerous. When they grab that Bible and they hold it up, danger. Now, I'm being a little bit facetious, but that's actually kind of true. I mean, the word of God is powerful, and the evil one knows that, and the evil forces know that, so they're going to try to remove it in any way possible. But according to this report, Seattle police officers surrounded him while he was reading his Bible, arrested him, uh, and brought him to the station, and then released him after. During the event, Meineke said he saw, quote, a bunch of naked people walking around 200 feet away, and, uh, sorry, uh, this quote got a little garbled here. A bunch of naked people walking around, naked grown men around little children, end quote. So that's another issue with these Pride events that we've seen and we reported all throughout Pride Month. But again, why do we keep thinking it's okay to have naked grown men around little children? There is no place, period, where that is okay. There's just none. We need to be able to say that out loud, maybe get arrested for it, apparently, but, but we have to say naked grown men around little children no, just solid. No, there is no room for that. I don't care what gender you say you are. I don't care what you dress up like. That's just a no. It, we have to protect kids. We just have to. Uh, in a video Mankey shared online, he said, we have a city full of crime. We have needles all over the place, lawless homeless camps everywhere, assaults, broken glass, Antifa running the place, but they have time to send 10 police officers to arrest a street preacher reading his Bible in the park. To that, I'll say, indeed, indeed. Priorities, people, priorities. Okay, two more quick stories we'll do. Uh, I'll try to make it a quicker episode today. I know I, I, I maybe have the gift of gab. I just, I like to talk on this. So two more really quick stories. Several 200 plus year old churches are closing. And I read a LifeWay study that reveals this shocking truth that people, 
who know theology actually share the gospel, which is not shocking, really, if you think about it. But I want to combine these two stories together because I think they are related in the longer line of generational things. So this, these two are actually both coming from the Christian Post. Uh, in 206 years, Christ Church, United Methodist Church, uh, in Southwick, Massachusetts, which I'm probably pronouncing wrong because they have all these weird pronunciations in Mass. It's probably Southwick or something like that. I don't know. I'm not from Massachusetts. But... This church, Christ Church, has survived. Changes to the name, facilities, membership. It's been around for 206 years. But after two years of the pandemic, members voted in May to permanently disband the congregation on July 1 due to dwindling numbers, and the pastor apparently decided it was a good time to retire. Carol Jones, who worked at the church, said she saw the end coming too, and all the younger people moved away. She said, the young kids are all gone now. They moved away, and at my age, what else could we do? End quote. After declining for years, the First Presbyterian Church of Des Moines in Iowa, this is another one, say they had opened in 1848, and they held their last service in April. Last December, 221-year-old First Press Church in Belafonte, Pennsylvania, permanently closed on Christmas Eve, on Christmas Eve, due to declining membership and attendance, and on and on. I read through a bunch. Like There are literally a bunch. I'm not going to read through all of them, but what is the point of me telling you this? What does it matter if 200-plus-year-old churches are closing? Well, I want to tell this next story first and then come back because I think there are some dots to be connected and they'll make more sense after this next survey. Lifeway Research study recently concluded that good theology connects to evangelism, and I would add to that church growth. So good theology. What is good theology? Good theology means you read the Bible and do what it says. So you can read the Bible. You can know things. I have a lot of friends who actually have left the faith who know all kinds of things about the Bible. They're very intelligent, very smart, but they never did anything with it. They never connected that theology to what they do. Or on the other side of that, you can do all sorts of good things. That's like the social gospel. You can do all of these good works, but you don't know why you're doing them other than it's good to do things. Those two things need to be connected. Theology is believing the right thing and doing the right thing. Those two pieces need to be connected together. And unfortunately, one of the reasons even I'm doing this, I don't see them connected very often, or at least not in a way that is productive. Productive in the sense of living out your faith. That's why I keep saying you have to be church and public. You have to have your faith and your culture. You have to take your faith with you wherever you go. <clears throat> Excuse me. According to this survey, the top two traits predictive of an evangelistic Christian my goodness, I said that all funny. The top two traits predictive of an evangelistic Christian on Lifeway's list are, quote, connect faith to everyday life. Wow, it's like I just said that. Anyway, and biblical belief about heaven. Now, I have a lot to say about heaven. I'm not going to say it here because, as I mentioned, I'm trying to keep this short. But if you understand heaven correctly and you understand that you are saved to be with God for eternity, but you're also saved to live in this world. That's an important thing. You either have people who get saved and they just like sit on their couch for the rest of their life because now they have their ticket so they don't need to do anything else, or people who just do, do, do all of the things and, you know, aren't really interested in what heaven is. Both are not full views. That's why theology is really important. You have to understand that you have a job to do. Ephesians 2.10, you were created for good works on this earth. Because you have gifts and abilities, you're, you're created to do these things. And 
you want to connect to God and even just the John 14, 6, through Jesus, you have a way to eternal life. Uh, John 3, 16. So, so many different verses that talk about how uh, you connect to this eternal life. Both things need to happen. So according to this article, this uh, connecting faith to everyday life and biblical belief about heaven infers a strong grasp of theology from a practical and evangelical perspective. Yes, that's exactly right. You have to believe what you do and share who you are. The data indicate a link between church attendance and evangelistic activity. The quote, never actives, that means they just don't do evangelism, are most likely to attend church less than once per month, compared with the very active group, which is most likely to attend four or more times a month. This all makes sense if you understand church. If you don't care about your religion, if you don't really care about Jesus, if you don't really practice your faith, why would you go to church? Because you're just doing whatever you do. You think, yeah, I'm on the bus. I'm going to heaven. Why do I need to go to church? Why do I need to learn more? Why do I need to do more? <clears throat> and that totally makes sense. I don't think it's right, but that totally makes sense. And here's where these two stories, I think, are connected. When you don't have a fully formed theology, then how can you possibly evangelize? How can you possibly share your faith when you don't really even know what your faith is or what your faith does or what you're supposed to do with your faith here on this earth? If you don't really love and follow Jesus, why would you share Jesus with somebody? It's even just like if you really enjoy a movie, you tell people about the movie because you really enjoyed it. If you don't really enjoy Jesus, why would you tell people about it? Why would you even bother going to church to talk to other saints about it? And I think as a church, we've done a horrible job as churches and pastors and even Christians alike at making faith alive. Your relationship with Jesus should be a living, evolving, dynamic, exciting daily event. Instead, we've relegated faith to either a once a week snooze fest or on the other side, a weekly rock concert, neither of which are actually worship. We need to cultivate a robust sense of the presence of God incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ through the power of the indwelling spirit in us. And until we do that daily and then meet other believers at church to worship and celebrate, we can't possibly grow as a church community, and unfortunately, this goes back to that first story. We'll keep seeing churches close, and that's just the reality of it. You heard from some of these people in that first church, well, all the young people moved away and they didn't want to come back, so what could we do? Right, because you didn't live out your faith. You didn't share your faith with the next generations, which is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to grow faith in our family. We're supposed to develop our family. We're supposed to develop our community. We're supposed to develop our church. A love for Jesus. And if you don't do that, of course, the faith is going to die off with you. That's what I see over and over again. And it really makes me sad. It really hurts my heart. And I would wager, I would guess that it hurts God's heart too. We want to grow these communities. I hope that you start with your family and grow the community with your family and the faith with your family. And I hope that you start with your community and you start going out into your community and just sharing how good God is and growing your faith that way. And then go to your church and share that faith with other believers and grow and edify and just have wonderful moments of worship with your church community. I hope you can do that. And that leads us to the verse of the day, Ephesians 5, 19 and 20. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. That'll do it for me today, Church Public. I'm Matt Odegaard, and keep the faith.
Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, go ahead and like, subscribe, and share. If you're on Apple or Spotify, give a five-star review. It really helps. And if this is helpful to you, share it with one person. Text it, email it, write down the address on a little sticky note and stick it to the hood of their car. Now, whatever you need to do, just, just I want to get the word out about Jesus. That's really the most, the, the biggest thing that we have to do. Let's make Jesus famous. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. God bless, and we'll see you next time.